It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Roaring. Each week, we talk about sports topics locally, some nationally. We, of course, got our famous betting segment. And, uh, of course, my favorite segment of the show at the end where you can ask me a question, ask Skinny anything. Rick, uh, we're, we're neck deep in college basketball. And I think I'm going to have to ask you this every week. Um, as busy as you are with, with your regular job at Local 12 and then uh, doing uh, Xavier games for, for, uh, for 24-7 and then, of course, doing the color analyst uh, analysis for NKU basketball, are you sleeping at all? Yeah, I'm doing all right. Uh, This week, I was just really fortunate. I mean, really fortunate when you think about the fact that no one else is allowed to even go to games for the most part right now. I mean, all these other fans that have been locked in that would kill to just have that sense of normalcy of being back in an arena. And yeah, it wasn't the the normal atmosphere of a crosstown shootout, but it was a hell of a game to be in person for. It was really fun to watch. I got that. I got to go up to UD Arena, which... As much as I criticize the city of Dayton, UD Arena is a palace for basketball. Oh, I, I mean, it. it is just a beautiful place, and it's even nicer now since the renovations over the last several years. So I'll tell you what, I, I, I do some uh, some freelance broadcasting for uh, for another entity, and um, each year on District District Saturday, they didn't have it this past year um, because they were finishing those renovations. They actually had it down at the Cintas Center. And at Fifth Third Arena, but it's my favorite one because I, I usually will have two or three. Got to get the four district games on broadcasting. We have a nice spot where we do it from, and um, I do. I'm with you. I just love that arena. Um, it just got it. It holds nostalgia for me in a lot of different ways. When I was a kid, my dad took me up to watch the uh, the 1978 regional tournament that year when Kentucky ended up beating Michigan State and Magic Johnson in the championship game. So uh, uh, I got a lot of memories of UD Arena. I'm, I'm with you. I love that place. Yeah, I'm 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 very fortunate this week to to be attending all these games and running here and there. It, it was a lot of fun. Yep. N- nothing like it. I'm with you. All right. Well, let's jump right into some college basketball talk, and we'll start with the local storyline. Xavier beat Cincinnati 77-69 in Sunday's annual Crosstown shootout, and then both of these teams have also played a game since then, as Cincinnati beat Furman 78-73, and Xavier steamrolled Oklahoma 99-77 on Wednesday. Skinny, I'll ask you simply, what are your takeaways after the shootout and one more game for each team? I think kind of what we talked about a little bit on Sunday night after the shootout is I think UC is still still that work in progress that that it, and it may take them a little bit longer. And I think Xavier just has a more talented roster to be quite frank. And I think it's gotten even more talented with the infusion of of what's uh you know what, what happened over the weekend. Um and and you know depending on what happened with Ben Stanley too, right? So I mean uh, look, I don't know how good Oklahoma is. I do know they had beaten TCU and TCU would, ha, has only one loss. Otherwise they're four and two. Um, and TCU just lost a, a tussle with Providence. If you want to use that as a gauge again, I'm not, I, I know you're with me on this. I'm not a big comparative score guy, but it does give you a little benchmark to at least look at. Um, and that would Xavier beat Oklahoma. They, they housed them. I mean, they housed them. And I think you see, the, the added depth that, that Xavier now has. I mean, I, I like that eight man rotation at the beginning of the year, but now you can go 10 deep. You might have to go 11 deep and we'll have to you know figure out is that going to upset the apple cart for a couple guys as we roll through it. But there's not a lot of drop off when you go to that bench and you got a lot of different ways to do it. You can bring in scores. You can bring in defenders. You can bring in glue guys. You can bring in a rebounder. Um, I, I, I think they're just a, a I don't even say they're a more complete team. I just think they're a more talented team that's obviously now got a you know seven games under its belt. UC is still very much a work in progress. Big game for Keith Williams in the win over Furman. Um, I just don't know. Can he do that 
six out of every seven games for them. And what happens if he doesn't, right? Yeah, so let's go Cincinnati first okay. because I think they're kind of the more interesting team to talk about right now because their fan base isn't a tizzy. They don't seem to be happy. I think the Furman win eased concerns a little bit, but there's still a lot of criticisms there. Um, I, I'll be honest, like I do not get the panic over the Cincinnati team right now. I, and I, people get mad at me for saying this, but I go back. Mick Cronin ruined this fan base. They've, he, they've absolutely been ruined. All they do is whine at this point, first of all. They are miserable. But second of all, the biggest thing is they do not know what it's like to play normal basketball because they've been so used to this defensive slowdown style where you never give up an easy basket at the consequence of everything else you do. And so now when they give up an occasional basket because they're trying to score a little bit more, play at a different pace, do some different things, and granted – there have been some struggles defensively. John Brandon's trying to figure that side of the floor out right now without question. But also, like, if you want to score more and you want to change your style and you want to be more fun to watch, you're going to give up some points a little bit more often. I mean, you cannot freak out every time you give up points. They were in that Xavier game and actually in control of the Xavier game going into the second to last media timeout. Like, they were not... That was not an embarrassing performance. No, for that not UC at all. Team. Not at all. And after I saw those teams on the court together, and then especially after watching the the Wednesday games where Xavier throttled Oklahoma, I was surprised at how much more talented Xavier actually was in terms of their yes. personnel. Yes. Like, yes. I thought those teams were much closer when the season started, especially the way Xavier started. But now that we see it, especially with those three guys back, Xavier has a lot more talent than Cincinnati does. Recruiting to the AAC is a little bit different. And John Brandon and his staff are, are finding that out, but they, they've got things moving in the right direction. It's just going to take a little more time. Rick, where, where was Xavier three games into this season? They'd beat trouble. They'd beat right. They <laughs> yeah. had beaten Oakland. They had, and then they had scratched out two other wins on their home floor. And so, yeah, yes, almost I, I know, lost to Bradley and then, right. and then played poorly against Toledo. Yeah. And then struggled against Eastern Kentucky. I mean, right. so I, I should go four games in, I guess. Um, and so that's the thing. I mean, did anybody really think UC was hitting the ground running? Did anybody really think Xavier was hitting the ground running? The answer should be no. Now you've watched Xavier evolve over more games with an infusion of more bodies and more talent, and they're just a better team. Not a knock. I think UC is still going to be a really good team, but it's they're not hitting the ground running when you're trying to put all kinds of new parts together and you're trying to figure out, all right, who's my go-to guy? Who's maybe another option in case he's off the floor at some point? They're just not there yet. I think they'll get there, and I, I don't know why you'd expect them to get there three games in. Yeah, like I guess if you would have held Alcorn State Northwestern to 43 points to start the year, you would have felt better before you hit this rut, you know, and, and struggled and faced some adversity. But the fact of the matter is, like, this isn't a crazy bad start or anything. You lost no. to a Xavier team that's clearly better than you, and then it's you beat a Furman team that, quite honestly, at this point in the season, probably better than you. Like, in terms of having yeah, everything and, and, ready and, and, to go and guys be, being comfortable, Furman is a good, solid team. Dude. In case anybody's wondering, and, and there's some that don't care about this, but it, and this is not always a great gauge, UC was only about a four-point favorite in that game. It wasn't like they were a 15-point favorite and and and, and slept walked their way to a to a close win. I mean, they they actually covered the point spread. Yeah, I mean, and I I got them at two and a half earlier in yeah. the day. So I mean, yeah, it just you know I, I would just say relax, take a deep breath. Th things are moving in the right direction for UC. Are they perfect? No. Like, do they have some issues with the roster right now with vote and Ivanowskis being two of their best players and they're unplayable together at the same time because right. of their limitations defensively. Yeah. Yeah. There are some issues there with the roster makeup, 
but they're going to figure that out. I think the one, three, one, although, you know, they gave up some open looks out of it. Ultimately, they only gave up one buck and it was on a second chance point. They played about eight to 10 possessions of it, I think. So um, I'll, I'd look for them to use that a little bit more. I think you can keep Chris vote out of some foul trouble that way. Right. You play the zone a little bit more and hide him. He, in the fou- he there. fouled out again last night, didn't he? Yeah. Back-to-back games yeah. he's fouled out of now. So that's a concern, but he honestly, like they're struggling with him on the floor. Even he gives them some offense, but it's not enough to warrant the issues he's having defensively. So, you know, I thought playing Ivanowskis at the five was a good look for him too. At times they're just going to have to, tinker with this thing a little bit sure. more and find the right combinations. Jeremiah Davenport is kind of unexpectedly giving them a lot off. the Dude, bench, I, You know me, I've been high on that guy since he was a high schooler. I saw him at Moeller a bunch of games and I, I loved him. I thought he got under recruited and I just think, I, I think he's going to get better and better and better. Cause I think he's got an offensive repertoire that he just isn't quite confident enough in at that level yet. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the, the overreaction to what UC's done so far is, is crazy to me on the flip side. I was too low on the savior team, to be quite honest. Like, I did not think they could get this far this fast, and I didn't well, think they'd well, have okay. this much upside. And I'm with, you, I'm with you on the on the first part. I mean, I think the upside is, is always hard to tell until you start to see it a little bit. But, I mean, l- let's face this. I mean, you didn't know how good Odom was really going to be running the show. You didn't know um, th- that that the Division Two, the, the Griffin kid, the Division Two kid, was going to rebound like he's the best player on the floor, rebounding the ball at all times. You know, Kunkel, you, you hadn't seen since since you know his Belmont days, and, and I'm I'm with you on. I didn't know how good they were going to be, and early in the year, I still questioned that. And then you know, again, you 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 evolve a little bit. You add a couple of pieces to it, and I think it's it's that whole trickle down. of just a couple of added pieces makes everybody else better. And I'm telling you, the, the more I watch Zach Freeman, like I told you this last night, I, I mean, I I think he's an All American caliber player. I, I think he's an unstoppable offensive player. I don't care who's guarding him. It's ridiculous the jump that he's made from freshman to sophomore year. Now his defense is leaving a little bit to be desired, but offensively, it, he's a nightmare as a matter. He is. I mean, you know, he was going head to head with Brady Manick, who is getting a ton of publicity here to start the year for Oklahoma. A really good. He went around him like he was a cone. Yeah, and I mean, Fremantle completely stole the show. Uh, I think what you said about Xavier and the trickle down thing, getting those guys back, is significant. And you might look at it and say, okay, how much have Colby Jones and uh, C.J. Wilcher and Adam Kunkel really done in the two games that they've been back for? Hey, you look at the the box score, not a ton. You know, a couple threes. Uh, from those guys, Colby Jones hit one last night. Kunkel hit one in the shootout and uh, some assists, certainly. And that's that's one thing I think they've definitely made an impact in is their ball movement and IQ on the offensive end. When when those guys are in, the ball is moving. Like, it doesn't stick with them. They're not making mistakes. Colby's had a couple turnovers handling the ball, but they're not making bad decisions or forcing the issue too much in terms of trying to score. So they they've been a positive in that, but I think the trickle down thing you mentioned is big because what it does is it gives Travis Steele options. If yes. uh, certain guys aren't shooting well, well now you have another option to go to. So the chances of having three or four good shooters all off on the same night, much less than only having one or two good shooters off on the same night. And that, and and, that was the storyline of last year of, of if, if a certain guys don't make shots in a game, you ain't winning. Right, exactly. You're relying way too heavily on Paul Scruggs to shoot threes and Najee Marshall to score overall, including from the perimeter last year, as opposed to this year. Now it's like, okay, initially you were thinking Kiki Tandy better be on for these guys or they're going to struggle through those first few games. Now that you've got 
Kunkel and, and Colby Jones. And CJ Wiltshire is a little bit behind. I don't know how much of an impact he's going to make this year, but at least it's another option. And Steele's already shown he's comfortable putting him in at the four right now to back up Carter. So it's like you just have more guys you can put in there. And then in terms of roles too, you know, you have a guy like Colby Jones who despite playing his first minutes as a freshman in his debut, he immediately guards Keith Williams in the shootout. And then in the Oklahoma game, he's guarding Brady Manick, a 6'9", 230 big man who's really good in the post and also a face-up threat. And he did great against both of them. So just giving more roles that you can uh, kind of specialize and say, that's our guy we go to in this situation just gives you more options as a coaching staff. And that's the the trickle-down effect that you're talking about of, of bringing those three guys back. It, it's not just the box score and the, the production they're bringing in terms of numbers. It's the everyone else being able to move into a more specialized role or lesser minutes and be more fresh or on the certain night that they don't have it or they aren't bringing the right energy on defense. Steele can sit them down next to him and say, we need more from you or we're just not going to play you. Yeah. Well, uh, you know where Brady Manning's from? What city? I mean, I would assume French Lick. Well, that, I was going to say either that or somehow Larry Bird swung through whatever that town was, either as the coach of the Pacers. I guess he'd have to be a coach of the Pacers at that point. His playing days would have been long gone. Um, man, if that isn't the spawn. Woo! Uh, he is born in Edmond, Oklahoma. So oh, that's right outside Oklahoma City. Yes, yeah, that's exactly. actually, actually one of my best friends that uh, lives in Edmond, Oklahoma. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so I guess maybe maybe Larry came through there for a clinic at some point. And boy, what a clinic he must have put on. Yeah, either that or uh, Larry Bird's relative was a mailman in Edmond, yeah, Oklahoma. It, exactly. Milkman wow. delivery. Yeah, exactly. Wow, that was incredible. Incredible. Yeah, that is one hell of a look. Uh, Skinny, let's stick with the college basketball talk here because one of the other – Big storylines locally is Kentucky start. They are now one and three following losses to Richmond, Kansas, and their most recent, an embarrassing 79-62 loss on Sunday to Georgia Tech. What's wrong with the Wildcats, and can it be fixed? It's going to be fixed with a T. Do you know what the T is? To Camp Cal? Yeah, well... (laughs) He says it's going to be fi- fixed with two T's, which I thought was tweaking. Tweak. What else? No, he said actually working on not turning the ball over and more toughness. Turnovers and toughness is what he said he's going to do during Camp Cal. Uh, I I agree with the first T, but I would have said T's and S's because they need some shooting, my man. <laughs> they need some shooting. Like I'm always. with you. Yes, correct. And I think that's the thing. Um, I mean, T- BJ Boston and, and Terrence Clark aren't shooters. I mean, they're scorers. They're the same guy. And um, I just don't know how you fix that. The You have no real point guard. I mean, the Askew kid should be in high school still, and, and he's got more turnovers and assists. In fact, they only have one guy on their team, Rick, with more assists and turnovers, and it's Davion Mintz, who probably should be playing the two guard because he's a he's a he's probably their best shooter, him or Dante Allen, uh, the Pendleton County product, and Dante just isn't ready to get on the floor for extended minutes at this point yet. Um so I, I don't know what the fix is. I'm kind of interested to see what it is. And, and I think we've talked about this before. There's just no easing into this any longer. The rest of their schedule is pretty darn tough. They had a game scheduled with Detroit that got rescheduled and then got canceled again. So that's off the docket. And Detroit actually pushed Michigan State to the brink up at Michigan State uh, a week or so ago, 10 days or so ago. So I don't even know if that would have been a get right game. I don't know, Rick. I, you know, I, I know that this seems to come up every year, but they, they just have they've they've looked Ugly the last three games offensively, just ugly. It is. And this is coming up across the country and not just Kentucky, a lot of other places. Duke in a similar boat right now. We'll talk about 
uh, their coach here in a second. Yeah, is there uh, elite one and done guys anymore? I mean, I, I don't well, say anymore, but is are there elite one and done guys just not in this group? Maybe it's some of that, but also when you have those young guys that need some time, obviously they always do. But this year they're really getting thrown to the wolves in the sense yeah. that they didn't have the exhibitions, the you know some of that stuff. The lead up to a lot of the buy games. And then, yeah, you're not getting the buy games where uh, some of them are getting thrown to the wolves against legit competition this year. And it's showing, even if it's not a good team, Georgia Tech is still different than a school with four directions. <clears> no same. question. Uh, so I, I think there's, there's some of that going on. And then there's major flaws with this Kentucky roster. I think one thing, and I'm interested to hear your take on this. I want to see what it's like when they get Keon Brooks back. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a good point. Right now, they need Isaiah Jackson and Olivier Saar to play at the same time, and that is not ideal. Like, I think if you play Keon Brooks with one of those two big men, all of a sudden you look a little bit better on offense, a little bit more spacing, a little bit more skill, and that helps some of your issues. But one of the big things they, the big problems they have, and, and it's leading to some of their turnover issues, not all of them, but some of them is. There's just no spacing on the court. And Travis Steele had a great quote the other night when he was talking uh, about a Xavier team that said, your spacing is your shooting. And it's exactly what the issue Xavier faced last year. They just, teams clogged the paint, took away driving lanes, took away the the ability to throw it into the post, crowded uh, the shots near the rim because there were no threats from the perimeter. Well, yeah, and then there's no, even if there is a threat, when you close out to that threat and he has to kick it to somebody else because of the rotation, the guy that he kicks it to isn't the shooter then. So you're right. Right. That's that's a great quote. It's so easy to rotate when you only have one guy you're worried about or two guys you're worried about. In Kentucky, I mean, they don't even have one guy you're you're consistently worried about. I mean, but even then, he's not setting the world on fire. No, right. That's right. You're right. And I mean, he's not even playing a ton of minutes right now. So, yeah, I think that part of it is a big issue for them. And that will, if they could make some shots, it would help their turnover situation some too. The problem for them is I think they can fix the turnover solution easier, whether it be Devin Askew just getting more confident and comfortable or Davion Mintz taking over more at the point guard role as he gets more, more comfortable at UK that can be fixed more easy, easily in my opinion than the shooting issue can. I just don't see, a lot of upside in terms of their perimeter skill level on this team. Well, that's the thing. It's, it's, it's one thing when you have guys who have proven it at some, some level, be it high school, be it, you know, they're there for a year and maybe it's a guy coming back for a second year and you can hang your hat on Hey, he's just not shooting it well at this point, but there's nothing to suggest that these guys are good shooters at all from, from, from the perimeter. And then, um, so you don't have that to fall back on. So I, I'm going to, I'm really interested to see how this evolves. And, and I mean, it's got a chance to devolve into, really really an ugly season but we've also been here before right and you're right Keon Brooks I don't know if he's a difference maker but I don't think he hurts I mean getting him back certainly would help um yeah. it, it makes your personnel work better on yeah, the offensive yeah. end for sure and then Olivia Saar I think he's still going to to be really good he the issue is you've got young guys trying to find themselves and get in their flow and they're kind of got tunnel visual right now they're focused on themselves and this team needs to find ways to make Sar good and get him involved more. And, you know, there's times where he gets the ball on a possession and then they go 13 possessions without him touching it again in, in a position to score, you know, aside from just maybe like a dribble handoff or something. So they need to find ways to put him in better positions. But part of that is is getting the young guys up to speed and comfortable and and losing some of that ton of vision that they're going through right now. 
Yeah, and I mean, last year they lost to god-awful Evansville that ended up going 9-20. and 20. Um, And still, at the end of the year, you probably would have put Kentucky in the hopper as one of the handful of teams that had a legit chance to win the national championship. So, he's done it before. Um, I just don't know if he can do it with this group. I just don't. We'll see. I mean, it's it's... I think this is about a, as bad of a shooting team as he's had in a while. There, yeah. we, 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 we thought this team might have a chance to be better, but nope. like you said, none of those guys were proven shooters. It was all ifs and buts and maybes, and right now they just don't seem to have it. I mean, maybe Davion Mintz gets better. Maybe Devin Askew starts taking on more of a scoring role as he gets more comfortable, but I just don't think you're going to have a team that, that shoots it at any type of – notable clip from beyond the arc and Rick they've got four games left in the non-conference unless they can find another one to reschedule because I mentioned they tried to reschedule the date or the uh, Detroit game and, and were unable to uh, they did it and then it got postponed again so here's what they got left before they go into conference play Notre Dame this Saturday then they're off another that's the other thing too this team plays a game then it's off a week and then it plays a game then it's off a week I don't think you get any rhythm with that so anyway they got Notre Dame this week then at UCLA on the 19th at Louisville on the 26th then right into conference play hmm that's a lot Oh yeah, and they still have midway through the conference. They still have Texas. I mean, so they've still they've still got some uh, tough games ahead. But then there's also some opportunities in there. You sure, know, if you do sure. start getting this thing rolling yeah. a little bit, get any momentum at all, well, then you still got an opportunity for some good non-conference wins as well as what you do in conference play. And who knows what that's going to look like in terms of what games you actually get in right. and all that. So. All right, uh, NKU, Skinny, they've lost two straight on the road. They fell at Chattanooga 79-72 on Saturday and then at Dayton 66-60 on Tuesday. They're 2-2 two and two now, and I'll just ask you, do you have generally positive or negative takeaways from the young Norse's two losses here? No, I, I think pretty positive in my opinion. Um, uh, you know, they've, they've in past years, they've played a midway or a Wilberforce or pick another small school in Kentucky. And yeah, we and love beating up on Lindsay Patterson's Wittenber- Wilmington. Yeah. Quakers. Wilmington, Wittenberg, um, and even some lesser, um, you know, the MEAC type teams, the, the MAC, not the MAC, the, the MEAC type teams. Now they're playing yeah, Texas um, Southern and yeah, right. Correct. Now I, I think they've ramped up their, 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 their non-conference schedule. And I think it's going to really pay dividends when they get in the league. I, I think Detroit's better, um, and maybe I'm just basing that off the one game they played against um, against Michigan State. Um, but I, I think this NKU team is going to be right in the mix in the Horizon League again, and I, I I would take nothing but positive away. You see them more than I do, obviously, and you know I know this is not. I think everybody's still living on Dayton being the Dayton of last year, and they're certainly not because they lost a, a kind of a generational talent for them. You know, they lost what they lost to SMU. By two at home, what a week or so ago? Not an yeah. awful loss, but still, they, they lost by two. So, I mean, if you want to compare scores, SMU's a you know upper echelon AAC team, and, and NKU score with Dayton is pretty similar to that. So, that tells me that the, this is still a pretty good team and going to be a good team. Well, and and I think you look at this team heading into the season, and they were so young, and there were so many unknowns, and you're making such a transition from the core of the last few years to. Uh, yeah, Trayvon Faulkner and Adrian Nelson are st- still there, but in terms of like who's going to do all your scoring and everything, you're just significant wholesale changes across the board. So I think everyone expected it to take some time. And then when you look at these first four games that they've played, this schedule, I mean, this is the teams they've played are all basically teams that would finish in the top 
three or four of the Horizon League. I agree with I mean, that. Yes. All of them are would be good Horizon League teams. And, so, and, Day- and Dayton would be the best of the bunch by far. Well, yeah, without question. And, and so, well, I mean, I tell you what, this year, Wright State would definitely give them a run for the Okay, yeah. Yeah, good call. But I think that the, the point there is that... Or we can th- meld the two teams and call them the Wright Flyers. <laughs> As one media did in their market. Recently. Uh, yes, they did. One media yes, station did. did. Yes. Yeah. So I think that the takeaway for me is that this NKU team has gotten a better test here through the first few non-conference games that they've ever had, really, at the Division One level. And so far, they've passed it with, I mean, they're not getting wins necessarily, but I don't think I expected that. The fact that they haven't had one game where they've been out of it or uh, you know, had a terrible stretch where they just gave themselves no chance. The fact that all three of the freshmen that you were hoping could give you something this year have not only given you something, but on different nights, they've all stepped up and led you at times on the offensive end. I agree with you. I think it could be nothing but positive. And then you, you go to that Dayton game, which uh, whether Dayton is good this year or not, and let me tell you, it, it's, a, it's a massive drop-off from where they were a year sure. ago that's still a regional game against a name team that has a great tradition that definitely has more talent than you. And you go up there and you have an opportunity to win it. I mean, just flat out had multiple opportunities, had that, you know, a shot gone down here or there, or they get a, a, a turnover or a call to go their way. They win that game legitimately and didn't need anything screwy to happen or fluky or anything like that. So to be in that position just a, a few weeks in right now, I think nothing but positive takeaways right now from NKU. And they've got to get tougher. They've got to figure out some things defensively, but although they made great strides in the, in the Dayton game, but the, the efforts off the charts. And I really think those, those three young guys, there is no doubt that this is the best recruiting class in NKU history already, in my opinion, because I mean, look at, there's not a ton to, to choose from in the division one era, if we're being honest. And really when you go back to like Drew McDonald wasn't really recruited to NKU. He was just coming there because his parents were NKU celebrities, basically, and both played sports there. And he was going to go there regardless. And they just had to decide if they still wanted him after John Brandon took over the program from Dave Beasold. Uh, guys like Dan Tez Walton and, and Jalen Tate and Adrian Nelson, they weren't really highly recruited. Those were guys that that kind of came to NKU and said, Yeah, I'll I'll go here and and try to be the face of, of a program that, that actually wants me instead of maybe being someone else's second or third option. So I, I think when you look at the, this recruiting class, they are the best recruiting class in school history already, and the upside is tremendous for those three. They got one more uh, non-conference game at Kent State, and then they hop into that crazy conference schedule where they're going to play on back-to-back days against the same opponent. So uh, I'm looking forward to see how that goes down. Yeah, and I'm really excited to see how the back-to-back days works because with their defensive style, where they can make quick tweaks and adjustments and give you very different looks in back-to-back days where they go with different fronts, kind of like a 1-3-1 versus a 2-3 matchup, also go a little more man-to-man against you and match up uh, instead of playing as much zone. They can do a lot of different things in in two two days and make you – feel like you're facing a completely different team. So that'll make the quick turnaround, I think, easier for them than some of the other teams in their conference. Yeah, I'm I'm just looking to see how that plays out. Me too. All right, one more uh, college basketball topic here for you, Skiddy. And it's not local, but Coach Krzyzewski made waves this week when he said, quote, it doesn't feel right to be playing right now. Following his team's 83-68 loss to Illinois to drop the Blue Devils to two and two. the loss, you say? Following a loss, I know it's not on brand for him to do this type of thing, but... Uh, He said, quote, we got our butts beat, 
but for the good of the game, the mental and physical health of players and staff, we need to constantly look at this thing. I think that's the smart thing to do. I ask you, Skinny, do you agree with Coach K and the national media types that are caping for him right now in saying that doesn't feel right to be playing and it should be reconsidered and the season should be pushed back? No, I think you do it the way we've been doing it. If you get some positive tests, you cancel a game. You try to move a game around. That's the way it goes. I mean, if it if this really starts to to blow up around the holidays or maybe right after, and it's just in a conference, it's eight eight of the whatever ten teams. I just pick a random number in the ACC. It's what fourteen teams. Let's say it's twelve of the fourteen. Um, have to shut down for a period of time, then okay, then maybe we revisit this. But no, and I'm sorry, it feels like every time his team struggles, he's got some kind of complaint or his back goes out or whatever. I feel so sorry for the guy that had to step in for him that one year and, and, and absorb all the losses. And then he miraculously comes back the next year when the team was better. Um, look, I think he's a great coach. I'm not going to tell you he's not, but there's a, there's a lot of phony in that cat as well. Oh yeah. It's the whole, it's like the urban Meyer thing, right? He started getting headaches on the sidelines and it's, it's going to be the same situation here for coach K. I guarantee you his health is going to start going South here. If they don't turn this thing around in a hurry, like he's going to start getting the dizzy spells on the sideline again, maybe another collapse over there. Uh, It's just who he is. And the funniest thing about this to me is you've got the, the national media types. Like I saw Dan Wetzel being one of them, but there are, there are a few others, Uh, but Dan Wetzel specifically, I just think of because, he and the other Yahoo guys, and, and I listen to their podcast. I enjoy their work. I'm not trying to take shots at them, but they did this same exact thing right before the football season. They sat there and they told us, oh, they shouldn't play. This is never going to work. This isn't going to happen. There's no way for it to work. They should just call it right now. Why are they dragging their feet on this? It's never going to happen. We're never going to have football. And then it did happen, and we did have football. And guess what? And, and, and we're now to the end of the football season. Right, and it was choppy, but we're still going to get – College football playoff, we're going to get four probably representative teams, and we can certainly argue the merits, and we will hear shortly about UC. But, yeah, I mean, again, it was choppy getting here, but who didn't think it wasn't going to be choppy somewhere along the way? Right. I mean, this is the reality right now. This is what we are dealing with. And, uh, you know, that, then basketball, it's the, the same situation. It's like, what what do you mean we should be constantly looking at this thing? We are constantly looking yes. at this thing. We've been monitoring all along. That's exactly what we're doing here. And it's working for the most part yes there's games getting canceled everywhere but you know what i'm gonna go as far to say as that's been kind of good for the game the fact that dayton had to scramble at the last minute and just call nku up and say yep just come down and play a one-off at our arena you get a great shot to play us when we're not at our best and then you got that road opportunity that's awesome for the sport. I, I think agree. there's been a lot of that going on this year. These teams can't be as picky and choosy about how they're going to get these games and they've just got to get them in. And that means playing some regional rivalries at the last minute when you don't get to do a full week of preparation or what have you, the way you'd normally like to. So be it. I think that's been a lot of fun for the game. And I think it's going to continue to work that way. Now it is the big East, for instance, who likes to play the double round Robin schedule and everyone gets an equal schedule throughout the, the conference slate. Is that going to happen this year? Heck no. Probably not. No, yeah, probably not. Probably going to play an unbalanced schedule this year. Xavier might get Villanova three times or Creighton three times or four times. That might be the way that it works out. But it's still going to be better than not playing a season. And it's not just about the fans and the money and getting everything done. I mean, don't get me wrong. The money's a massive, massive part of this for everybody involved. But the kids want to play too, by the way. They're working their ass off. We would be taking away all sense of normalcy and everything these guys have worked for and just putting their lives completely on hold when let's be honest, 18 to 22 isn't exactly a time where you can just stop things, right? 
well, by the time you're 23, 24, you can't just, you don't want to still be in college playing sports anymore. Kind of got to move on with your life a little bit there. So it'd be tough to just tell these kids, sorry, you're basically done. We're screwing up your lives at this point. If, if they can, and, and, and the, the other thing, the only other thing I'll say about this is the idea that college kids are going to be safer if they're out being college kids and not, it's not, it's not true. It's not, it's not accurate. Right. And not being disciplined with a team trying to stay healthy for a common goal and, and quarantining and, and doing those types of things is just bananas. Like if these guys are not on a team right now, they're going to be hanging out with their friends. They might be at parties. They're going to be drinking their, their immune systems are going to be lowered. They are in the best situation they could be in right now. The last thing I would say on this topic, then if, if, if coach K really wants this to happen, that's fine. Then how about however long you don't play, you don't get paid. How about that? Oh, you, you know, that's not that? on the table. Well, okay. They can't uh, do that. Know. Well, yeah, right. Exactly. So shut up about it. It is being monitored. It, 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 guys are getting tested and that's why we see cancellations. It's just, you just have to work around it. So no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not with him on this at all. And I, I do think that I do think that the two and two start losing to two good teams in Michigan state and Illinois probably factors into his thought process. You know what's hilarious about him, though, is that he has the self-awareness to say, I know this isn't going to look good, or I know people aren't going to like this because we just lost a game. But, and then he goes on to say exactly what he said. And it's like, so you know exactly what you're doing, but yet you still do it every time your team struggles. You have to make excuses for why you shouldn't actually be playing right now. I mean, he is just... And and then he's probably looking at going... I've got Charleston Southern and Gardner-Webb and then the ACC schedule ahead of me. Ooh, boy. I don't understand why that guy is uh, deified the way he is. I just do not. I, I do not get it. He is a loser. Good coach, <laughs> I would, but he's I a loser. I wouldn't go far as call him a loser, but yeah, okay. I, yeah, I mean. He, Good basketball coach, but a loser. Coach. Yes, okay. <laughs> All right, Skinny, let's switch gears here to college football. The new college football playoff rankings came out on Tuesday, and Cincinnati dropped after not playing for the last few weeks. Iowa State hurdled the Bearcats on Tuesday night after a blowout win over West Virginia. Cincinnati hasn't played since November 21st because of COVID-19 and dropped down to the number eight spot. What do you think of Cincinnati's drop in the CFP rankings? It's ridiculous. It just, it's just, it's, it's now, now you can completely tell that, that this isn't even thinly veiled anymore. They are locking out the group of five team, no matter what takes place. They're going to give themselves every contingency to make sure it is a non-group five team in the title. game. I mean, there's still is going to have to be a lot of things. And we've talked about a lot of things for UC to go right um, for them to even have a swing at it, but they are absolutely making positively sure. I mean, Iowa State has two losses. I might give you benefit of the doubt with one. Now they've lost to Oklahoma State, which is a nice team, and they've lost, believe it or not, to Louisiana, which they has got turned blasted by Louisiana. Yeah, thirty-one fourteen in the opener, um, and and I give that a little little caveat a little bit too, just because I that, don't. That, that was I watched that strange. game, and and they're good. Louisiana is actually a good team, though, too, Rick. They are. They're legit. They are. They they but, are. But, I watched that game, but they smacked Iowa State. And yes. Let me tell you one thing that wouldn't have happened this year: Louisiana wouldn't have smacked Cincinnati at any Agreed. point in time at Agreed. all. No chance. And that's why I, I think you can see clearly that, that 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 they're no longer even even trying to put the charade that UC has a chance. This was almost like the death knell of hey, just go play in your little New Year's Day game for us and, and leave us alone. Let the big boys play. It's just, it's just absurd. And it goes back to when you have so few out-of-conference games, so few, it's hard to compare. And yet Iowa State did have an out-of-conference game with Louisiana and got punked. 
Yeah, I mean, there's no logical stance to make for Ohio State hurling Cincinnati. It is an absolute joke. Iowa State. Yeah, Iowa State. Uh, yeah, excuse Ohio. me. Iowa State uh, hurling Cincinnati. It is an absolute joke. It, it just is. That's obvious. But what's so weird to me, the college football playoff wasn't going to let Cincinnati in regardless. No, that's like right. That, that's exactly that wasn't right. going to hap- happen even if they were seventh. I don't know why they felt the need to send this message so obviously and get everyone all riled up about it. I mean, are they doing this for ratings to create a bigger storyline and more conversation? Uh, do, do they think we're this stupid that like we actually believe, oh, Cincinnati fell back a spot. So now we really shouldn't even consider them a rightful contender to the, to the throne. Like it makes absolutely no sense why you would decide to drop them a spot right here when there is no reasonable explanation for it in terms of competitive football reasoning. No, it's it's the it's the contingency plan if somehow Ohio State loses the Big Ten championship game. Um, it's a contingency plan when Florida loses to Alabama in the SEC championship game. And it's the contingency in case um, uh, Texas A&M loses at Tennessee next week. None of which, I mean, all of those things have to happen and they're not going to happen, but it gives them a, just gives them a contingency plan of, of, of to keep the group of five out. And it's, uh, you know, I, I, I listened to Joel Klatt on Monday. I, I think he's very good. He does a lot of uh, college football and he made a point if, if, we're going to continue to shut the group of five out and really give them no chance at this. Then honestly, let, let them go have their own tournament too, or let them have their own playoff too. Cause it's, it's, it's almost silly at this point of the game, either expand it to the eight that we've talked about with the five power fives and the three at larges, which I think they'll eventually do. And this would have been the great year to do it. Or honestly group of five, go hold your own playoff and, and, and you're the group of five champion. Good for you. No, See, everyone wants to do that. Everyone wants to always say like, Oh, if, if, if we let can't, them, no, let them go make win, their own money though, Rick, you guys go do your own thing. They already are. They're already making their own money. Guess what? They don't have to share any of this money as it is. They could easily make their own money and shut everybody else out and everybody else would be screwed from that perspective. So I don't think that's a solution at all. And by the way, here's the real issue with that. It would be meaningless. It would be as meaningless as the New Year's Six Bowl games are right now. Everyone tries to talk them up and convince themselves that they care about making New Year's Six Bowl game. No one cares about the new year six bowl right now it is all about the college football playoff and if you it is if you separate that from everyone else guess what that becomes it becomes uh, fbs i mean it could be it becomes division two playoffs it's it's something fun people watch it if they bet on it but they don't actually care we're not actually going to be talking about it during the season and it just makes college football on a week-to-week basis, and especially during the postseason, less relevant. I I love college football during the regular season. It's awesome. All day Saturday, having the games on and being able to bet them is one of the best things in sports. But this is just the absolute worst postseason system. They they make so much of the sport and so many teams so irrelevant on a not just – a year-to-year basis, but every single year. It's the same teams that are relevant and the same teams that are irrelevant, and they're doing it by design, and they're trying to widen that gap now. And it makes no sense to me. Why are they not expanding the tournament to eight teams? Why are they not giving Cincinnati a legitimate shot in this year, the only year where it would really make sense? And here's the thing. I wasn't even banging the drum for UC last week. I didn't have a huge problem with them seven. To be quite honest, I do think Florida's better. And Texas A&M, I don't necessarily, but I get based off resume why would why you would have them ahead of Cincinnati. But you do this, this is clown stuff. Like moving yeah. out, Iowa State ahead of Cincinnati, it just makes the whole thing a charade and an absolute clown show. And I, I don't know, it's, it's frustrating to watch from a from a fan's perspective who has no college football team. 
My family has never rooted for any college football teams. I never grew up rooting for one. I don't have one now, really. I like watching all the local teams. I like following the big storylines. And to be quite honest, I could give a less about what happens in the New Year's Six Bowl. Congratulations, you see. You had a great season, but nobody outside of your fan base cares or is going to watch that game if they're not betting on you. So this college football thing, the college football playoff needs to get figured out. Yeah, I agree. I, 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 I wish somebody who's in charge would do that. And it, um, it, it, again, just follow the money, man. They're going to they're going to shut them out every time. And, and I don't I don't know what the answer is moving forward. I just don't. Well, I think you've hit well, on I know, it a I, no, I, times. I, it's, it's I know ba- what the answer is. Yeah, I know what the answer teams. is. You're dead it, on about that. That is it, it's not perfect, but it's a much closer solution. Well, I go back to I can't believe if I'm the commissioner of the Pac-12 or the Big 12 that I wouldn't be lobbying for this to make sure I got one of my teams in. Right. Right. I mean, you, that's, would, you would think this would be the year where they'd start banging the drum, but I guess the the CFP teat is too good. That milk is too sweet. Yep. No, you're right. They're not going to mess with their money. Nope. All right. Ohio State will play for the Big Ten Championship after all, Skinny. The conference announced Wednesday it has decided to change its rule requiring teams to play a minimum of six games to qualify for its December 19th championship. Quote, the decision was based on a competitive analysis, which determined that Ohio State would have advanced to the Big Ten football championship (laughs) game based on its undefeated record and head-to-head victory over Indiana, regardless of a win or loss against Michigan. Skinny, do you agree with the Big Ten's decision to put Ohio State into the Big Ten title game despite only playing five games? Yeah, I mean, I think that was an arbitrary number to begin with. Um, Again, that was their... their, The point of the number was to keep the teams who had gotten off to a lead from quitting and saying we're not right. going to play anymore because right. we got the lead. Yeah, I don't mind them moving the the, the, yeah. the start-finish line of that from six back to five. Um, I, I think it's a joke that they try to use some kind of fancy words for why. They, I mean, they did it because Ohio State has a chance to play in the college football playoff and make the conference a bunch of money. Let, let's just cut to the chase. And that's fine. But let's just be honest about it. I'm okay with that. Hey, Ohio State's undefeated. We think, you know, them them getting in the title game in the Big Ten, and if they win it, they get a chance at the, at the CFB, um, and it's going to make our conference money. Okay, I'm good with that, but don't give me the based on competitive analysis bunch of baloney nonsense. Um, again, just say we, we decided to move it. It was an arbitrary number to begin with. I'm good with that. Yeah, I'm good with it too. It makes a lot of I mean, what else are you going to do if right. you're the Big Ten, by the way? Like, it makes no sense to, to put anyone else in there. Ohio State is clearly the best team. Northwestern should get their shot to play Ohio State. But yeah, I mean, and, and the other thing is you're screwing Northwestern if they don't get to play against Ohio right. State. That, that's the other problem with it. But um, the biggest thing here, though, is I would do the same thing Michigan did. Like, if I'm Michigan and I know I'm going to get my brains beat in in that rivalry game and I can instead just piss Ohio State off and become a problem for them by not playing that game and say, hey, now you don't have enough games. So, yeah, we're going to go ahead and cancel and, and hide behind protocol, whether it's legit or not. I'm with that. I would do the same thing if I was Michigan. But for that same reason, that's also why it's right of the Big Ten to put Ohio State in because Michigan was never going to play that game and give Ohio State the, the opportunity. Yeah, not if it could help it. That's for sure. Not if it could help it. And it obviously made the decision it made. So, yeah, no, I, again, like I said, it was an arbitrary number. It's not set in stone. It's not some law. Um, it was just a number they came up with. And and it's okay to move the finish line. All right, Skinny. We have a baseball topic, believe it or not. The Reds, in an out-of-the-blue move, decided to trade closer Rizel Iglesias and cash for right-hander No Ramirez and a player to be named later per announcements from both teams. Mike Trout? <laughs> that's that's what we're all wondering. We're all on pins and needles. Who is it going to be? Uh, 
I mean, I, I think I know your answer, but uh, does this trade do anything for you or move the needle or what's it say about the Reds plans here to get rid of Rizal Iglesias? Yeah. And this is going to be a terrible answer. I don't know. Cause they're saving 9 mil off of it. Um, what, what he was going to make this year. Does that mean this is the start of trimming payroll or does this mean you're looking and going, um, we can't afford a middle of the road closer who um, isn't consistent enough. And we can take that money and better spend it in free agency to go get a shortstop. I'm hoping it's that. Um, but I don't know. Uh, you know, you know, Sonny Gray is still supposedly on the trade block. Is that again, to try to scrape together some cash, but then if you don't resign Trevor Bauer and you lose Sonny Gray, what's your starting rotation going to look like? So I do think this off season in the next, um, next month and a half or so is going to be pretty interesting to see what they do because I, I I do think it's probably scrimping together some cash to make a run at a position player, you know, a la a shortstop, but I got to see it to believe it. Right. I, I think we can all agree that there are better ways to use that 9 million this yes, year than at Rizal yes. Iglesias, especially with the, the relationship between him and, and David Bell and this coaching regime has always seemed a little rocky. I mean, they've patched it up and said the right things in public, but once you get off to a start like that, you have to imagine they're never really on the same page. And Rizel just hasn't been the the player the Reds thought they were going to have. No, uh, I thought when he was. Gonna, I, I thought he was going to be great. I mean, he was a yeah. multi inning closer, in my opinion. He, he looked he looks great. Yeah, I and mean, there's times he looks dominant, yeah. but it's it, the inconsistency levels also cost him a bunch of games. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, yeah, I do not have a problem with this move, but like you said, I mean, the, the money can definitely be used better. The question is, are the Reds actually going to use that money right. or this cost saving measure, which I could very easily see it being. Yeah. I, I'm hoping it's the, I'm hoping it's more trying to save the, the right cash to get the right player to help them out. I, I'm, I'm hoping for that. So we'll see. Um, only time will tell. I, I would hate it to be the other way. I'd hate this to be the start of yet another rebuild. Cause listen, that last rebuild took way, way too long and it really didn't get completed. Yeah. You made the playoffs, but it wasn't much of a playoff push. It was a year of an expanded playoff. So man, I, I'm just hoping this is not the sign of the start of a rebuild. I don't think it is, but talk to me after if they move Sonny Gray and then we'll see where we're at. Real quick, before we get to our betting segment on Sunday at 1 p.m., the Bengals will welcome the Cowboys led by Andy Dalton back into Paul Brown Stadium. Uh, You were with the media that got to talk to Andy Dalton this week leading up to the game, Skinny. Is this cool? Do you think Andy Dalton is excited about this? Do you think the Bengals care about this? What's the overall vibe surrounding Andy Dalton's return to Paul Brown Stadium in Cincinnati. Yeah, we talked to a lot of players yesterday. I know Tyler Boyd um, was pretty effusive in his praise of Andy, and, and I even asked him about, you know, because they lockered next to each other um, from his rookie year on. If you remember, Tyler had that really rough stretch early in his second year where he was inactive for the second game. Um, you know, he got he got hurt. He didn't play a whole lot and then, you know, kind of, you know, started to play better towards the end of the year, had that big play in Baltimore and his career's kind of taken off. And he gave Andy a lot of credit for kind of talking him through and getting him through that, that rough patch. Um, So I think for some of these guys, I think Andy meant, meant something to some guys in that locker room. And for him, I mean, the last time he played a game on that, that field, he walked away a winner. Wouldn't it be crazy to think that if, if he comes in with the Cowboys and wins, he'll, he'll have won his last two starts in Paul Brown stadium where the Bengals since he's left, have won all of two games. And that's not a knock on Joe Burrow, but I mean, it just is weird, is it not? And that the, the symmetry of that just strikes me as very, very odd. That here's a guy coming in, getting a chance to go 2-0 in his last two Paul Brown Stadium starts, 
and the rest of the team, the Bengals across the way have won two whole games in the last since, since he left. So um, yeah, I mean, good for him. And I'm glad he's playing. Um, he hasn't been very good and I don't expect him to be great in this game either. Dallas stinks. I mean, I think the biggest storyline to me is honestly, if Zach Taylor loses this game to a team that's coming off of a short week, as they played the Tuesday night game is the worst team in the league on defense has, they still have a little bit to play for, but they look like they've kind of tossed in the towel and they come into your building and win. Um, I think at that point, all bets are off whether this cat comes back next year. I really think that this is the game. If he doesn't win, cause I think if they don't win this, they're not winning any of the other three. Um, I think this would be a little egg in the face. I really do. And, and I think this is the one where the organization would take a long, hard look and go, huh, he can't even beat this team on a short week with the quarterback we gave up on. Maybe we need to go a different direction. I know it's any given Sunday. It's the NFL, all that nonsense, but the, they're not beating the Steelers on Monday night football. No, that's my point. 21st. They're not, they're not winning another they're, game. This is their last chance to win a game. They're definitely not beating the Ravens on, on January 3rd. Uh, the Texans are not that good, but I, I don't see them winning that game on the road on December 27th. I, 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 how many games has he won on the road? Zero. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Okay. Zero. Um, I think you're right. I think this is it. This is probably the last opportunity for a win, or at least their, their last legit shot at a win, barring some type of miracle. I, I, I don't feel good about them actually getting it, but I mean, who, Man, you who got knows? everything going in your favor. Like I said, Dallas didn't get back home until the wee hours of the morning on Wednesday. Wednesday was a recovery day. Today would be kind of technically their first kind of walkthroughish practice. They'll have one more probably full practice on Friday. They're going to get on a plane and come to Cincinnati on Saturday. I mean, you can't be getting them at a better time. And they're a bad football team to boot. They you got stink. no excuses here. And, they, and again, you're playing against the quarterback you gave up on. I'm not telling you they shouldn't have given up on him. Look, it was time to make the move. It was time to draft a new quarterback, time to start a new direction. But think about the egg on your face there. That's the guy you said, nope, he's not our guy any longer. And if he comes in on a short week and beats your ass, uh, you got no more excuses. You got no, you got, you got no more talking points. You're done. There's a big part of me that wants Andy Dalton to come in and throw for 450 yards. He won't do that, but he could come in and, and again do enough to, to help them win. I you, you could see it, I, but they shouldn't because they're terrible. Yeah, well, both of these teams are terrible. Both of these teams are terrible at home. So, a good, very good uh, point. I, I find it hard to really care about talking about this team too much, but you know, good good for Andy Dalton to be back. I hope he gets to eat brunch at the sleepy bee and enjoy all his favorite places so there you go all right let's get into our betting segment where finally skinny finally i had a decent week i go 10 and 2 you scuffled a little bit at 5 and 7 last week uh brings our overall records to 69 78 and 3 for me you are at 76 70 and 3 uh ohio state michigan is canceled this week uh kentucky has ended its season at 4 and 6 and they're gonna, they're, they're, they're gonna play in a bowl game though yeah, well, true, but ended the regular season. And uh, Cincinnati and Tulsa game was also canceled due to COVID and more so because of the fact that they're just going to play each other again uh, in the AAC championship game. So we start on Thursday night, NFL game, 8.20 p.m. We got the Patriots at the Rams, and the Rams are a five-point favorite. The total is 44.5. I just don't know if the Rams are good enough offensively, especially the way New England's playing defense. And it wasn't just the shutout last week over over – Justin Herbert and the Chargers the week before they they limited Kyler Murray to 17 points too. Um, Bill Belichick's got his team playing right at just about the right time. Um, they, they've they've determined that they're not going to let Cam throw it very much. That they're going to win running the football, playing defense, and um, that's a pretty good formula to stay within that five point number. I think the Rams somehow do win it because I think their defense is good enough to to uh, to limit 
New England. So I'm going to go Rams 20, Patriots 17. So give me the Patriots to cover and the under. Yeah, we're pretty close on this one. Uh, I'm like the Patriots have played really well the past few weeks. I think they've done a great coaching job. I think there's been a little bit of smoke and mirrors there. They've they've gotten a few breaks to go their way as well. Well, they had a day of two def- a defensive teams touchdown and a special team or two special teams touchdowns rather last week. So yeah, uh, these are these are the things I speak of. So uh, I like the Rams to cover this game. I think that five point spread is a little bit of a gift. I think the Rams are significantly better here and they're at home. Uh, I think the under, though, is the play I really like in this game if I'm actually betting it myself. I'm going to go Rams 24, Pat 17. So that's Rams and the under. I mentioned the under. It's gone. The total has gone under in the last five Rams home games, too. So just another number to keep your eye on. And uh, our one college game, Saturday at noon, we've got the Miami fighting Jed Demuses favored as a 23-and-a-half-point road favorite over Bowling Green, who is just god-awful. The total for this game is 50. What do you, what do you think? They are, they are awful. They just lost to Akron, which I think had gone 17 or 18 straight games without a win. They just lost to Akron, and not just lost, Rick. They lost 31-3 to to Akron. Here's the point differentials in their five games this year. Lost by 35, 38, uh, 25, 42, and 28. And those are all Mac opponents. And those are all Mac opponents. Now, Buffalo's in there, which is really good, obviously, with the with the running back who scores eight touchdowns every game. Um, but but still, uh, and Ohio's in there too. But still, nonetheless, I mean, they just get their doors blown off. They have terrible offense. Defensively, they're a train wreck. I think Miami gets this win in the cover quite easily. I'll go, uh, I'll go Red Hawks 42 to 10. So Miami and the over for me. Well, and this is a, a name your score type of game. And I think Miami with, you know, they, they had a tough game or two in there, and then they've had a few weeks of not being able to play. So there's a little frustration going on. I think this is a game where Miami airs it out and, and goes ahead and lets their offense put up some numbers and, and lets guys get some t- touches and touchdowns and things of that nature. I'm going to say Miami 45, Bowling Green 17 in a, in a yeah, we're about the same place. game. Yeah, we're pretty close there. So it's uh, Miami in the over for both of us. All right. Back to uh, NFL. We've got Sunday at 1 o'clock. We've got Cowboys. Coming to Cincinnati, the boys are a three-and-a-half-point favorite. The, the total is 42 on the hook. I'm going to go Cowboys 22-21. So the Cowboys and the – are the Bengals and the over for me. I can't pick the Bengals to win, but I can't – if Dallas wins this game, it's going to be just about ugly, and that's why I give you an ugly number of 22 to win it. Um, they're, they're, Dallas is bad, the short week and all that stuff, but uh, the three-and-a-half points at, at home here – seems like enough of a gift i'm going to take it uh, i mean the oh gosh yeah that the Bengals I mean, how, are so good I mean, against you, the how, spread too they just right. missed it this past week by a point the my uh right. dolphins did cover right but the Bengals have been really good against the spread especially at home three and a half the hook is the killer here i mean you feel pretty good out if it's cowboys by three in my opinion i want to say but, the but cowboys, it feels like a field goal game right either way it feels like a field goal game Kind of, teams. but the one thing I disagree with you here is you have it barely going over here by the hook. You have it at 43. I'm I'm under on this Bengals team for anything in the 40s at this Man, point. Man, this is literally the worst defense in the NFL they're playing. I know it is, but it's also the Bengals offense with that's, uh, that's a good point too. Brandon Allen, I guess, at quarterback. Is that yeah, right? It's Brandon, it's, yeah, it's Brandon Allen. Okay, yeah, so uh, I'm going to go Cowboys 17, Bengals 9. No, I'll go 10. I'll go 10. I'll say they get a touchdown this week on the field goal. So I'm going to say uh, Cowboys on the under. Yeah, the Bengals since the bye week, by the way, in the second half of games have scored all of 10 points. That's good stuff right there. Yep. 
All right. So, uh, Skinny, we've got Sunday night game, 8.20 p.m. Steelers at Bills. The Bills here are two-and-a-half-point favorite. The total is 46-and-a-half. I know the Steelers are a little nicked up, but, Skinny, are you surprised by that line at all? No. I, I think the Steelers, I think it showed on 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 Monday night against Washington. I think I talked about this last week when we were picking that game. You were um, all over Washington. I, 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 you yeah, almost I, took I, them to win. Yeah, I, I just I think the Steelers need need a break, and it feels like every week now they're losing another key guy, Bud Dupree, um, out. And I think Buffalo's really good. You know, I keep thinking, yeah, is Josh Allen that good? Is there? And every time I keep thinking that, I look up, and here they are at nine and three. I, I loved them this week in in that game against San Francisco out in Arizona, and they they dominated for the most part. I, I think the Bills, I, I think they dominate here. I'm going to go Buffalo, twenty seven. 14. I, I, I think it stays under bills in the under for me. I, I just, I think the Steelers need a, need a break and their schedule has not helped them. Rick, another short week for them coming from Monday to Sunday, not totally short because you're playing the Sunday night game, but still, man, they've had a wacky schedule here of late. And I think it's the cumulative effect for them is, is starting to pile up a little bit. It is a, uh, a tough week for them and they're banged up. So I get it, but I, I, I think there's going to be some money on the bills for that reason too. I just don't see, I don't see the Steelers losing two in a row. I think this is a little bit of a sucker's line. I'm going to say Steelers 24 bills, 21. So I do think it's close, but I think they cover by the hook. I'm going right, to say is, Steelers is, in the under. This is three games in 11 days. That doesn't I happen know. in the NFL. I know it's, it's not easy. Uh, I just, I don't see them losing two in a row. And I, this bills team that we've talked about, they're in close games every week it feels like and they found a way to win a lot of them but uh Steelers are a little bit different fair enough um I'll tell you what though man I Buffalo was pretty wrong I, I I thought they were the best team in the in the AFC East with the start of the year um I, I think they're the team that ends up giving Kansas City the most trouble in the postseason I really wow. do well, they've been good. I, I like the Bills. I do, but I'm I'm just not taking them over the Steelers here. All right, Monday eight fifteen. We've got Ravens at Browns. The Ravens we only have one. We only have one Monday game this week. What the hell? I, well, just hold your horses. We're not through the weekend yet. There's a chance we'll have three or four postponements. <laughs> good point. We could end up with a game every day of the week next week. Um, we, so Ravens at Browns. Ravens one and a half point favorite. Total forty six and a half. What do you think? Again, short week for, for the Ravens, although, again, it's it's a little bit better for them because they're playing the Monday night game and get an extra day after coming off the Tuesday game. Cleveland's playing with a lot of confidence. Um, that running better. game is real. Baker's been better. That running game's really good. Um, it, it feels like that they've, you know, we, I was waiting for them at one point this year, and it felt like when they lost to the Raiders right before their bye week, it was like, okay, here's the Browns we all know and love. And coming right out of the bye, they scuffled to barely beat the Texans 10 to 7. Well, that has started them on a four-game winning streak. And they haven't, you know, a bunch of those wins were over duds. I mean, they beat the Texans. They beat the Eagles. They beat the Jaguars. The Titans, obviously, are a playoff-caliber team. I, I, I just think Cleveland gets them here. Um, I, I'm kind of in the stage where I would want to say, you know, Baltimore needs this win to stay in the playoff hunt, and it, it, that's going to mean something. But I think Cleveland's showing it's for real enough to be a playoff team, and I think they get the win here. I'm going to go Browns 23-20 to 20 over the Ravens. All right, so that is the Browns and the under there for you. Yes. Uh, total was 46 and a half. So I uh, kind of gr- agree with the last part there that you said. I, one thing is the Browns are 0-4 against the spread against divisional opponents this year. They they are playing better football. There's no denying that, but it is against weaker competition. I'm going to say they get back in div- divisional play against a 
desperate Ravens team that needs this game. I'm going Ravens and over Ravens, 27 Browns, 21. Okay. All right. You got it. You got a teaser for the week. What do you have? All right. I'm going to go. I'm going to take the Bengals up to nine and a half. Actually, you know what? I'm going to take them up to 10. So I'm going to do a six and a half point teaser Bengals up to 10. I'm going to take the giants up to eight at home against the Cardinals. Cause I think they're playing better. And I'm going to take the Raiders up to nine and a half at home against the Colts, a three team teaser. All right. I'm going to go a three team teaser as well. We're going to start with one of my favorite traditions, taking a 32 point Alabama line and knocking that bad boy <laughs> down to 26. So you get it through a couple key numbers there. I'm going to also take Miami of Ohio on this teaser. I think they easily cover that 23 and a half, but you take it down uh, uh, a, a bit there to tw- uh, 17 and a half. And I like that. And let's go ahead and add Florida LSU. I Florida's at home. LSU has people quitting their team. God knows what's going on down there. Uh, Florida is a 23 point favorite. You take that down to 17. So there you go. It's uh, Florida. It's Miami of Ohio and it's Alabama there in the three team teaser for me. All right. Very good. All right, skinny. Let's go to our favorite segment. It's ask skinny anything. Uh, a little late on asking the question this week, so uh, short notice, but we still got some questions in here. Um, the first one is a sports question. Someone wanted to know, will Geno, Geno Atkins get within five feet of an opposing quarterback this year? No, he's, he's, he's doing a good job with COVID, I think. Um, I think social they should distancing. be proud of that. Yeah, he's a social distance kind of guy. I, I believe, Rick, and I, ha- I don't have it at the top of my, tip of my fingers here, I believe that Geno Atkins this year has one tackle. One tackle, not sack, tackle. What I, I called it early on. I, I think he decided he didn't want to play. They made him play through it when he, you know, had, was hurt for a period of time. And then they just basically said, you know what? If this sounds going to be screw you, we won't play you. It's a shame. I mean, to think what's happened to him, Dunlap and, and, and AJ Green, and I think all of those guys, I point the finger at them, each one of them. Well, I'm. I'm with you to a certain extent. I also pointed at a certain guy in charge of the team as well, but uh, that's that's not that's not a pride thing for the players. The the players should still have a little bit pride in what they're yes. doing on the field, I think too. And uh, for Gino and AJ, I just can't imagine having essentially Hall of Fame careers disintegrate like this, watching it go down like this. I mean, yep. it just it, to me that would be really really tough to to stand by and, and watch my career end in that way. So, uh, kind of. In some ways, you you want to feel bad for those guys, but at the same time, it's self inflicted in many ways. I mean, there's just no way that AJ Green would not get one catch if he's actually trying in an NFL football game. Agreed. Especially, I mean, and this isn't necessarily a new thing. Like he was struggling to get targets and passes thrown his way when Joe Burrow was the quarterback. I mean, if it was just a Brandon Allen thing, okay, but right, but right. Joe Burrow too. Uh, to me, I, I don't really understand what's going on there. And then the Geno thing is what it is. I mean, clearly didn't even want to play. And now that he is playing, he still doesn't want to play. So I don't really get why he's out there at this point. I'm with you. I, I think for me, I'd make him inactive to hell with him. No, I'm, I'm, I'm right there. Uh, this goes back to our Xavier conversation, but just came in since we had been recording that segment. Uh, someone wants to know, where would you project Xavier to finish in the Big East at this point? Obviously, they were seventh preseason skinny how much have you changed your thoughts on Xavier in terms of where they stack up in the big East, especially after the performance? I, we just think, saw against I, Oklahoma? Think, I, I think you and I've talked about it probably from team three to seven. We were going to see how they evolved. I think I'd put them third, maybe right now, maybe even second. Yeah. I think I still got Villanova and Creighton clearly ahead yeah, of them, but I, I, I'm going from saying 
you know, again, I think third and seventh, there just isn't really much of a difference in the right. big, probably. But I do feel like now, instead of being uh, my thought being, hey, they're seventh pretty clearly, and you know, they're going to maybe struggle to to do anything more than that. Now I look at it as, well, they could easily be fourth, maybe even third, and uh, you know, anything goes at this point. So I'm not who, saying who, who was picked third was Marquette or was it Providence? I'm doing, I'm drawing a blank. Providence. Okay, and and who's doing the, their normal early yeah. season scuffle, which they always do? And but, UConn but they, but, was fourth. Yeah, and they haven't been overly impressive though. So yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll go third, maybe yeah, even I, second. Yeah, I mean, look, I think uh, Xavier is very much on par with teams like Providence, UConn, Seton Hall. I think they're better than Marquette. So, yes, agreed. All right. Well, uh, well, I'll talk more about that on the Dane and Victory Podcast, MusketeerReport.com. We'll we'll preview the the Big East season coming up. Um, this is an, an interesting question because it brings up a few things here that just happened recently that we didn't talk about yet. Someone wants to know, can Logan Paul survive a round against Floyd May- Mayweather? Skinny, are you up to date on what's going on here with all that? I am not, so you have to fill me in. Okay, so Logan Paul is a YouTuber. You know who the Paul brothers yep, are, yep. Logan Paul and Jake yep. Paul? Yep, uh, yes. Jake Paul just fought in the undercard of the Roy Jones Jr. Mike Tyson fight. And he fought against NBA former NBA point guard Nate Robinson, who uh, had been didn't allegedly he, didn't training he, his boxer. Yeah, didn't he get his ass beat, Nate Robinson? Yes, Jake Paul, who has been yeah. training legitimately, competitively for the last two years as a boxer, knocked Nate Robinson out like in one of the most vicious knockouts you'll see, uh, dribbled his, his head right off the canvas. And... It, it it so it got it got it drew a lot of conversation. I mean, it was much more exciting than the actual Tyson Roy Jones Jr. fight, and it's got people talking about Jake Paul becoming an actual legitimate professional boxer. His brother is the one who's actually fighting Floyd Mayweather now. This was just announced after the fight, uh, the big pay per view we saw two weekends ago. This past week, it's announced Logan Paul will now fight Floyd Mayweather in an exhibition fight. Obviously, you haven't seen either one of them fight in terms of Logan Paul or Jake Paul. So I don't think you have much an opinion of whether or not he'd survive around against Floyd Mayweather. So I guess the more interesting question for you would be, do you think it's a good thing for boxing to have these huge mega YouTube celebrities with massive young followings come in and do these exhibition type fights where they draw a massive audience through pay-per-view yet it's not, high quality boxing or necessarily quite real boxing. And it makes, you know, maybe somewhat of a little bit of a sideshow of the sport. There's a lot of back and forth about that in the boxing community, about whether it's a good thing or a bad thing for boxing, weighing the eyeballs and the renewed enthusiasm for the sport with, are these guys making a mockery of it and turning it into like professional wrestling? Yeah, it's not professional wrestling. So, no, I don't mind it because, look, anytime you can infuse a sport and, and get more eyeballs to a sport and you're finding ways to do it, go for it. But I think what it's also going to show is if, if Floyd Mayweather beats this guy's ass, which he probably will, um, that, listen, guys, it's cute what you're doing, but these these are trained professionals. They they That's why Floyd Mayweather did what he did. I mean, it's one thing to go beat up an ex-NBA player. Um, it's another to fight a real fighter, and I think that's what you're going to see out of this. Well, and the biggest issue I have with this is – I don't like it from a branding perspective and what the Paul brothers are trying to do. You know, they've, they've done the whole YouTube thing thing and every, everyone thinks everything they do is chasing clout, which to a certain extent is, but Jake Paul with what he did against Nate Robinson in that fight, it wasn't two guys in a back alley scrap. 
Jake Paul was precise. He moved his feet well. He was getting in jabs. And, and when he had his opportunity and Nate Robinson came flying at him, he knocked him out. He looked like a legit boxer who had been training. And I think it was people, Nate Robinson, dude. Oh, totally agree. But I think people were to the point that they were ready to see him take this thing seriously and say, okay, go ahead and schedule a real fight, like a, a real fight in your uh, weight range. And let's see if you can do this thing. And I think people would have been willing to take him serious as a boxer. Now you get your younger brother who has already been knocked out by a YouTuber twice who can't fight. Well, we've already seen this. He's not as good of a boxer as you are fighting against a guy like Floyd Mayweather. Well, now you just made it pretty clear. You guys aren't taking this thing real seriously. This, this is a, a total exhibition. And you know, like everyone's worried about is Floyd Mayweather going to knock him out. He may or may not. My guess is not. If you watch Floyd Mayweather's fights, he's not about knocking people out. He's not about getting touched. He's going to sit there and dance around, let people yep. enjoy their pay-per-view or not enjoy their pay-per-view, but at least make it last long enough. And he's going to collect his paycheck and he's going to love it. And he's going to continue to try to promote this stuff because that's what Floyd Mayweather's about is self-promotion and making money the same way the Paul money. brothers are. <laughs> Floyd money Mayweather, baby. You know it. Yeah, so, you know, I, I, I thought the, the Jake Paul-Nate Robinson fight was actually great entertainment. I thought it was good for the sport of boxing because you're getting all these young kids excited about it, but I don't think this is a great publicity stunt for either side, to be quite honest. I'm just a big believer, man. Go chase your money. If you can make money off of it, go do it. As long as it's well within the legal limits, I'm all for it. Yeah, I mean, I certainly don't have a problem with them doing it. I just think I would have been a little bit more strategic but, you know, and boxing doesn't really have a say in this. These guys are going to do whatever they want. Right. That's uh, correct. But from, from the Paul brothers perspective, I think I would have been a little bit more strategic. Floyd Mayweather's a clown at this point, really has been forever. I don't think it matters for him at all. If he wants to do this, no. it doesn't matter. And there's no chance exactly. he's going to lose this fight to Logan Paul. So it, it, it doesn't matter at all. All right. He's uh, going to cash check. Yeah, exactly right. Another question here. What's the laziest thing you've ever witnessed? The laziest thing ever witnessed. Yeah, man, I don't know. Man. Yeah, that's a tough one to come up with off the top of the head, but I will say I actually have a decent one. May not be the laziest thing I've ever witnessed, but at Chattanooga last week when I was calling an NKU game, and I, tw I tweeted out a video of this. I don't know if you saw it. There was a guy, you know how at halftime, they'll, the guys will come out with the big floor mops and, and mop the, mm -hmm. the court. A guy was yeah. on one of those. It's not a segue. It's the segue without the without the bar sticking up, you know, the little, um, yes. Yeah. 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 I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Kind of like the bird scooter things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't think of, of what they were called, but the little, he was, thing, he, was, he, he was mopping the floor with that. He's got the giant floor mop and he's standing on one of those, uh, motorized things. You lean forward and it pushes you forward. He's going like, you know, a half of a mile per hour. And I'm just filling him as, as he drives by and, and my God bless my partner, Jim Kelch. He looks right up and says, that is the laziest thing I've ever seen <laughs> to the guy he goes, Oh yeah, I'm lazy, man. Well, I'll just say either that or it's ingenious. One or the other, or maybe it's both. It was kind of ingenious, but also just way too slow to actually be worth its while. And you way too much coordination involved. I mean, a ridiculous sight to be quite honest. It was definitely lazy. Yeah, I, I, I can't think of any one specific instance of, of seeing something overly lazy. I, I use the term a lot in basketball. Um, so I've probably seen lazy things that, that are more cumulative than one single event.
Yes. Hoverboard is what they call those things. By hoverboard, the way, yes, that's what yes, I was trying to think yes. of. Hoverboard is what he was on. Those are the things that, floor. and those are the things that catch fire, don't they? Yeah, yeah, all the time. They had, yeah, he, those things went popular. They started getting some cheap versions put out, and uh, all of them started catching on fire. So those yeah, Bonte- lost popularity Bonte- real quick. Vontez Burfick liked to ride around on his a lot. Yeah, Dude, the Bengals you locker talk about room, lazy. That. Yeah, that, yeah, that was lazy. There you go. That's lazy. Uh, you, if you have one of those, you are either a young teenager or you're lazy. Or you're lazy. Correct. One of those two, yeah. Finally, this is the last one we have. I think that's uh, worthwhile here. What do you guys listen to when you're not recording content? Do you credit any influences for your sports talk style? No, I listen to some sports talk radio, but no, because I, I think the guys that I came after, I came after the great Bob Trumpy and actually did a show with him and after Andy Furman and kind of at the same time, I guess, as Andy. And that was more of a caller-driven style back then than it was anything else. And, and I honestly now I'm at the point where when I listen, I, I'd rather just hear the host and not callers. I really would. I mean, Agreed. there's an occasional, there's an occasional good call and that's fine. But a lot of times it was the back in the day, it was the same callers all the time saying the same things. And, um, you know, in retrospect, that was what we were supposed to do, but I don't know if it advanced the product much at the time. So no, I, I, no, I just have always tried to be as honest as I can be in my answers and, and go from there. I don't, I, I know, it's, it's funny because I always did a two-man radio show and we had different opinions and different styles and different ways we acted. And everybody always thought it was a, was an act and it really wasn't. It was just us talking and we just had different opinions on stuff. Kind of like you and I, I don't agree with much of what you say and you don't agree with much, of what, <laughs> which is fine. I, that's okay. Yeah. As long as you're respectful in, in, in the way you, you present it. Um, that's, that's a great thing. So no, I, I'd say for me, no, do you have, do you have somebody? Do you, are you, well, let me ask you this. What do you, what do you listen to? Cause they did ask about that, whether it be podcasts or radio, what's like your favorite stuff? I'm still, right I'm, now? I'm just still an old, if I'm at home and I have the TV on in the background while I'm working, it's more, you know, just watching a show on TV or having it on in the background. I'm not a big podcast. Listen guy. I know that's going to sound strange for somebody recording a podcast. I'm still old school that if I'm in the shower, I'm listening to sports talk radio. If I'm in the car, I'm probably listening to sports talk radio. So um, I'm still probably old, old fashioned, old school with that. Uh, I also, I, I don't go out of my way to listen either. I won't just turn it on in the house just to listen. It's got to be, it's mostly car or, or shower for me for the most part. It's kind of whoever's on then basically for you. I yeah. mean, you like, you like yeah. Levitard, right? I mean, yes, I, 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 I would tell you, cause in a lot of times that's when I'd be riding around back, back in the day before COVID hit and you don't have to go anywhere. Um, I, I think he's a really talented, funny guy who also has some depth of knowledge and, and depth of seriousness to him. It's just, it's a fun show um, to me. Yeah. I, so that would be one of the first things I'd say is I, I grew up loving sports talk and I mean, I, I listened to your show. I listened to Lance. I listened to Mo a lot. Uh, Alan Cutler back in the day, uh, trying to think of who else might've been on the airwaves throughout when I was, you know, in high school and even before that. But I mean, really good memories of like going to baseball practice. You have that point in high school where you, you get out of school, maybe like two forty-five or whatever it was and practice is at three forty or 4 PM. So you kind of have that weird period in between. You're not going home or anything. You just have that hour to 45 minutes where you're just kind of hanging out waiting for practice to start. And I just remember driving around with, with my buddies and, and listening to sports talk and sitting in the car and have our own arguments about whatever. Um, so that was always something that was a big part of my life. I mean, Jim Rome was pretty popular at the time. And, and, you know, when you're a, a teenager, that stuff is uh, a little easier to tolerate than when you, <laughs> you start to mature a little bit, that gets old pretty quickly. Right. So, uh, you know, I think Bomani Jones was a guy that I liked a lot. Lebetard was a guy I liked a lot when um, I, I was listening to sports talk and, and in my college days, and really since the the podcasting stuff has gotten big, 
Um, I, I listen to less sports stuff than, than I ever have before, because there's just so much more niche talk radio out there that you, know, right, you never right, had before right. available on local airwaves. So I listen to all types of things, whether it be uh, TV critics or movie critics, or uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by social media and the business of all that. I listen to a couple guys named Colin and Samir, uh, we're constantly talking about all the influencers and YouTubers and TikTok stars and all that stuff, just because that fascinates me with the being in the content business and where all this stuff is headed. Uh, so I do a lot of that. But in terms of my influences, I would I would say it's it's probably more along the lines of the type of stuff like you and, and Gamble used to do and what Mo does now, where it's it's not taking yourself too seriously. It's talking sports for the most part but also trying to laugh about it and, and fit in some goofiness when you can and, and uh, argue back and forth, not be afraid to have a point. I will say someone sent me a screenshot this weekend. Uh, UC fans never very happy with me around this time of year when the Crosstown shootout is going on. Of course on. not. And uh, someone sent me a screenshot this weekend where uh, a guy called me a, I think he called me a nerdy Stephen A. Smith. And I thought, that's the nicest thing anyone's probably ever said about my broadcasting career. I'm not a big Stephen A. Smith guy, but like you're going to compare me to one of the most successful broadcasters of our generation and a guy who inspired an entire genre of, of content. Like, see, I, I, but, but yeah, I don't take you as, as hot takey though. I don't think you come off as hot takey. And I think that's all he's about is whatever the hottest take he can have, whether he believes it or not, he's going to say. I tend to agree. I don't think that's as much my style, but I mean, if, if anyone thinks I communicate that effectively or that convincing in my arguments or that influential in any way, shape or form, I will gladly take nerdy Stephen A. Smith. The as, New York uh, Knickerbockers. <laughs> that is preposterous. Crab Rangoons, things of that nature. He's a clown show and Max Kellerman's a dope. That's why that show doesn't work for me. Yeah, it's it's not a great show. It's not really what I shoot for. It's not what I enjoy watching. That's for sure. But yeah, no, I like no that question. question. I, I I love I loved the whole Spotify thing. Have you seen the Spotify post everyone has where it says like your year in review? Here was the top things you listen to and all that, and they give you like a shareable graphic to put okay. on social media. Okay, I love seeing all those. Like seeing everyone's like, this is my top five podcasts I listen to because I've gotten probably four or five different suggestions based just based off of seeing someone else's graphic of a show I hadn't heard about or tried yet and. I've already enjoyed it. So uh, if anyone has suggestions out there, I'll gladly take any of them. Yeah, no question. No question. Rick, uh, I appreciate it as always. We got uh, we got a lot of ground covered, and we've got a lot more probably coming up next week. Uh, we'll see if the Bengals can survive the Dallas Cowboys, see if Coach K gets his way. We shut down college basketball. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> and much Hopefully not. <laughs> for Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. Thanks for being with us. This has been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pokery edition.